It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey folks, Brian Salvatore here, host of Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. We had promised that this week was going to be a week of switcheroos. We're going to have different hosts on different shows, and we are not abandoning that idea. We're just postponing it a bit because this week we had a number of uh, conflicts that could not be resolved. So next week you'll be having all the wacky shows with different hosts everywhere. This week is a fairly standard week of Amazing Avenue Audio, which is to say still a really fun week. So enjoy all these shows and tune in next week for the zaniness. Thanks. Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Monolink Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and this week I am joined by Lucas Vlahos only. So how are you doing, Lucas? I miss Ken. Yeah, we wish Ken the best. Uh, this week I want to just kind of jump right into things, because there's a little bit of news. Um, I thought we were all done with the draft. The yep. Mets are pretty much at their limit after they signed Matthew Allen. But they made another signing... 
and it was kind of a big one. Uh, Blaine McIntosh signed. He forewent his commitment to Vanderbilt. So he isn't uh, Hunter Barco or Joseph Charles or anything like that, both of whom were really high upside pitchers. But among all the prep players that haven't signed that weren't those two, McIntosh is probably the most intriguing guy, in my opinion. Uh, he's a nice, smooth left-handed swing. And, you know, he's mostly a line drive hitter right now, but he's going to fill in a bit. He's going to add some muscle, and some of those doubles going to become home runs. And even if he doesn't really add too, too much power, he does have average to above-average speed, and he could develop into, you know, kind of player that sprays the ball over the field and takes advantage of the speed to put pressure on, on the opposing defense. And it's not like he's going to jump all the way to the top of, you know, the Mets' top 25 prospect list next year. Yeah. He's still pretty raw. Um, you know, he's a little aggressive sometimes. His defense needs to be improved. But those are all things that, you know, they'll get better with some more coaching, a little more playing time. And I could see him sneaking, you know, up into the 25 to 30 range maybe this year, probably not, but possibly next year, and maybe into the actual list, you know, the year after if he uh, actually, you know, produces a bit. I mean, uh, the, I think the best analogy we can make here and the time-appropriate analogy, given that the July 2nd deadline just happened, is, like, this guy's probably getting – if you, like, copy-pasted this profile to a Dominican prospect, they're probably getting seven figures, right? Yeah, it's, it's a good – he's an athletic kid. He can hit decently. Right. Uh, the defense is, is – Rough, but it's pretty good. So yeah, that is that is a, a seven figure, you know, Dominican. Well, I mean, it's hard, you know, bonuses are kind of weird there. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we're making a rough approximation here. But he's in that tier of players, and this is someone that was probably originally just insurance in case they botched signing Allen, and they got Allen and him. So cool, good job, Mets. Yeah, I mean, it turns what was already B plus. Slash A minus draft into, you know, much more solidly in the A's. This is the, and, and like not not I'm not talking about evaluating drafts after the fact because you could go back to the Alonzo draft and change the grade. This is the best draft they've had in the past I don't know ten or fifteen years, um, based purely on on the guys they signed at the time of the draft. Yeah, just strategy, the actual guys that they've gotten, it, it's all it's all good. Like he, this guy's got a chance to stick in like 25, will probably be bouncing around with like Consegra and Hernandez, and the uh, they actually might be higher. Um, it's good though, it's good. Good job, Mets. Yeah, like we were saying last week, it's a very bottom, strong system, and McIntosh being added in just, you know, makes it that much stronger at the bottom. So the uh, future should be good, hopefully. Where and, do you think they're going to send him? Uh, to the GCL, if he even plays this year, who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's not that late of a signing, but he might be one of those guys that they just don't even bother because it's been at least a month or so layover since last time he played, you know, high school kid and all that. So they could just say, enjoy your summer and... You know, uh, stay in shape. We'll see you next year. Yep. Yeah, that seems reasonable. 
He will be a guy, though, to definitely uh, watch. Oh, we, did, we didn't even mention the best part, that his uh, sister, he's the one whose sister was an American Idol winner. So, yes. Uh, if he ever makes the majors, maybe we get her like doing the anthem at City Field or something, which would be kind of entertaining. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a American Idol watcher. No, so, me so neither. I don't, yeah, <laughs> so. I'm gonna assume her, I'm gonna assume that she's good though. Yeah. Alright, well, that's a bit of good news. And now onto a little bit more depressing stuff, how the teams did this year, which was uh, kind of particularly bad. It was bad this week. Yep. Syracuse went two and five, which makes them 42 and 46 for the year. Which is in fifth place, eight and a half games behind the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders in the International League North. Binghamton Rumble Ponies went two and five, and they're also in fifth right now, six games behind the Reading Fighting Phils in the Eastern League Eastern Division. St. Lucie went four and three, which makes them twelve and seven for the year, which is second place, two and a half games behind the Charlotte Stone Crabs for first place in the Florida State League South. Columbia Fireflies, they went four and three, and they are nine and eight, which is tied for the Augusta Green Jackets and the Rome Braves for first place in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. Brooklyn Cyclones went two and five, and they are now eleven and ten, which is a half game behind the Staten Island Yankees for first in the New York Penn League McNamara division. Kingsport went one and six and they are now 7-11, and 11, uh, fourth place in the Appalachian League West, and three and a half games behind the Johnson Sydney Cardinals for first place. And last but not least, the GCL Mets are currently 500. They are 5-5 five and five on the year. So, yikes. Yeah, big yikes. big yikes. Again, just like how the season started out where we had a very talented team in the Columbia Fireflies, and they just scuffled from the get-go we have a very talented team in the kingsport mets and they are scuffling right now i don't surprisingly the the the, with columbia was like okay the good players are underperforming with kingsport it feels like the good players are performing well and they're still losing yeah well i mean look at the mets all you need is one area of weakness and you're a terrible team and the mets have I, i just actually just saw somebody tweet this the Mets have 70% a decent team, but that 30% is a big glaring weakness. Yeah, it's it's bad. They're also currently <laughs> getting no hits, so it's great. Oh, great. Uh, uh, that said, like, minor league records, of course, don't mean the most. Columbia's was concerning because, like, Vientos and Mauricio and Newton weren't hitting, but, like, Francisco Alvarez looks good. Adrian Hernandez. I got that name right, right? I'm always going to mess that one up. It's too you generic. Did. <laughs> okay, he it's way it's way too generic a name. Uh, he looks good. Contegra's still hurt, unfortunate. Beatty's looked good. It's like don't don't stress too much about Kingsport's Kingsport. Yeah, food. I mean it's at the end of the day it's still like they've been playing for about three weeks. Yep. So there's not much to really glean from any of that from the individual players. I know I'm not I don't want to steal too much of Kenny Sunder because I'm sure he wants to talk about it at some point, but he's uh really liking uh what he see what he's seen out of uh Francisco so far. Yeah, it's it's good to see, you know, top guys performing. And so far he's definitely performed. And it's also fun to see uh, you know, guys that you don't really expect much from perform and 
our hitter of the week and our pitcher of the week are guys that I would lump in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, for this week, our hitter of the week is Joe Genord, who is with the Brooklyn Cyclones currently. It is absolutely criminal that the hitter of the week is Joe Genord and, and Ken isn't here. I know. <laughs> in the six games that he's played, he is current for the week. He's currently hitting 348, 375, 739, with a total of eight hits, three doubles, and two home runs. And uh, like Luke Ritter last week, Janord is another 2019 draftee playing on the Cyclones. Uh, he was drafted in the ninth round uh, and signed for $10,000, meaning that the rest of the slot value from his pick was allocated to Matthew Allen. He was drafted out of the University of South Florida, where he holds a lot of the Bulls' uh, records for offense. In his four years there, he is a cumulative 291, 382, 528 batting line in 204 games. He was solid as a freshman, solid as a sophomore, but things really picked up for him uh, starting in his junior year. He hit 306, 394, 633 that year. And he led the team in batting average doubles and home runs. And his performance got him noticed by the Dodgers, and they drafted him the 19th round. But he didn't sign with them. He went back to school, and he hit 333, 446, 618, again leading the team in batting average doubles and home runs for second consecutive season. And then the Mets drafted him, and he signed for probably a lot less than he would have gotten from the Dodgers if he signed with them last year. Played himself a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's currently leading the Cyclones in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, doubles, home runs, basically every offensive category. But I kind of have doubts that he'll be leading the team um, in in batting average and on-base by the end of the season. Slugging and home runs, I definitely think that he will. He's I could buy on-base. He's really the only power hitter on the team, so yeah. I, I'm sure about the power things. Yep. But batting average and on-base, I'm not too sure about. Because personally, I think that the bat speed is a bit slow. I agree. Yeah, the swing is kind of long. It's kind of uppercutty. You know, he has slider bat speed. And the thing, I don't know. Um, no, no, he Steve, never... he's a good breaking ball hitter. He is. Well, yeah, let's be... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like slider bat speed is a nicer way of saying it. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I could see you on base percentage though, because there's no one else who hits for power in that lineup. Yeah, that is true. The thing I think a lot of the walks that he draws are ones that he gets from pitchers, kind of respecting the power. Yeah. And if the bat gets exposed, this you know, as the season progresses and he starts striking a little more, he doesn't have like the the Idemesque, you know, those strikeouts mm-hmm. with walks. Mm-hmm. I think in the going going forward in the future, you know, if he gets Presumably he'll get sent to Columbia or maybe even St. Lucie next year. That's a big jump. And I yep. think at, at that level, that's definitely going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as he runs into a 95, into bullpens where there's 95 and a slider, guys, he's, uh, probably cooked. Yeah, it's not gonna, not gonna look good. He might be able to adapt. I don't know, but. It, it just doesn't look good for him. He's, he definitely has the profile of a guy that kind of, stagnates in high A or double A and doesn't really get out of there. Yeah. 
Now, in fairness, we said I – and mean, I'm not saying that Gennard is as good as Pete Alonso, but we've made many of the same comments about Pete, and the Mets were able to tweak his swing. That said, the Mets outside of Alonso don't have a great track record when it comes to swing tweaks and development. So. Right, and Alonso is also just a very – I mean, the, all of the power has always been his, his mm-hmm. marquee thing, but the bat mm-hmm. speed is great. He's always been a really good hitter, Yeah. whereas Gennard, I – would not put him in that same caliber. No, absolutely not. He's just a big boy. But I hope he keeps hitting uh, dingers. I mean, he's at... Uh, what is he at for the season? I think he's at five home runs right now, which is about a third of the way to the Cyclones' uh, record of, I think it's 13. That was hit by either Travis Tyrone... Or right. Daryl Siciliani a couple of years ago, like in the early 2010s. <laughs> so it's a possibility that he, you know, gets possibly up to that uh, record for the Cyclones there. Yeah. Our pitcher of the week now is Kevin Smith. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of jokes about that. But he pitched one game this week. And he went six innings, allowing one run on three hits. He walked one guy, and he struck out nine. Nice. So Smith was drafted last season. He was selected in the seventh round, and he was given a overslot $222,000 bonus. Um, he was picked from the University of Georgia, where he was used as a starter and a reliever. And in his three years there, he posted a cumulative... 4.17 ERA in 170 innings, allowing 165 hits, walking 77, and striking out 186. After he was drafted and after he signed, he was assigned to Brooklyn, and there he posted a 0.76 ERA in 23.2 innings, most of them out of the bullpen. And then the Mets decided to see how he'd fare this year as a starter, and the results have been pretty good. Uh, he is... He currently has a 3.39 ERA, and that's 17th in the league. And he has 87 strikeouts, and that's 7th in the league. And him and Tony DeBrell have a, a pretty good one-two punch for St. Lucie. Yep. And a lot of Smith's success comes from his arm slot. Uh, he throws really low, almost like a sidearm angle, and that's tough on right-handed hitters, and it's death to left-handed hitters. He isn't all smoke and mirrors, though. It's not like he's a guy that throws, like, 80. The fastball does hit high high 80s to low 90s. Um, and then he complements it with a big sweepy slider. That's, you know, a, a real good weapon against left-handed hitters. Though he is able to command it well enough to use it against right-handers as well. And then a, a, a change-up that is mainly his equalizer against right-handers. Um, so far, he's worked out as a as a starter, but I think in the end, he's probably better suited as a kind of left-handed specialist guy. Yeah, the arm slot definitely yeah. lends itself to that. And this season, left-handers are hitting 234, 289, 273 against him, as opposed to right-handers that are hitting 284, 333, 403. You know, those are not terrible numbers against right-handers, but there's a pretty, you, you can see, you know, the platoon difference. Uh, last, last season was even more Stark. I mean, he was used in a different role, and he pitched about a third as many innings as he had, uh, as he's done so far this year. 
but last year left-handers hit 83, 80, 83 off of him. <laughs> well, right-handers Jeez. hit 189, 267, 264. So that's uh, stark against lefties. Jeez. Yeah. So I think that ultimately, you know, ultimately he is destined for left-handed relief. He's definitely old for the level right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it. I mean, I'd like to see them push him a little bit here. He's clearly like he's got a FIP of two six four and a five to one strikeout to walk ratio. He's clearly too good for this league. There's probably no one who can hit that big slider at advanced day. Yeah, he's just same same concept we've talked about before. He can just spam his one pitch and never have to worry about improving anything else because he can get away with it. So I'd like to see them push him. Yep, and it's not like you know. Binghamton could definitely use some some fresh pitching. I know uh, we got more Mickey Giannis. <laughs> we do like him. He is. A, I do like a, Mickey. He's yeah, a favorite. Yeah. Knuckleballers are always great. So those are the pitchers and hitters of the week, and we will be right back after these messages. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos this week, and we're going to pick up on something we started talking about last week. Um, when we ended Oh Yeah, That Guy last week, we were talking about how, you know, how hard it is to be a professional ball player and how much work and effort it takes to kind of stand out from your peers and get drafted and then climb the minor league ladder to begin with, and how it really doesn't make sense that Major League Baseball or individual major league baseball organizations or the minor league teams themselves treat players so poorly from like an asset management point of view. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pick up on that this week. And one source, I guess, that is really excellent go-to for this discussion is a book, The Bullpen Gospels, A Non-Prospect's Pursuit of the Major Leagues and the Meaning of Life by Dirk Hayhurst. Um, I actually haven't heard of this before. Yeah, it's a great account of a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about um going public with these this, this kind of stuff is kind of taboo you know life in the minors isn't really glamorous and you kind of make waves and you get blackballed almost but what do we ask adam eaton's opinion on the matter yeah well that's that is part of the problem but why nothing has changed but in the book hey Harris, he doesn't really hold anything back you know he's out of baseball so he has nothing to hide <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have to worry about anything 
Another good source is uh, Matt Antonelli. He has a YouTube channel, and most of it is like coaching advice, stuff like that. You know, he's into a business of of um, amateur professional coaching, whatever you want to call it. But he does talk a lot about the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on and what life is like in the minor leagues, and it's pretty interesting. You know, his couple of 10-minute videos about housing or batting practice or just, you know, life on the road in general. So there's a bunch of different aspects about, like, the minor league struggle that I want to highlight here. Um, The first one and the most obvious one is pay. Yeah. Major League Baseball has given an exemption to the Sherman Antitrust Act, and they've gotten away with all kinds of shenanigans. And one of those things is that minor league players are paid well below uh, the standard federal minimum wage. Across the board, mostly, it is about a blanket $1,000 per month. It's actually $1,100 per month for the season, which is either from April to September for the full season teams or June to either August to September for the short season teams. And then on top of that, you have to have taxes deducted. And players from different countries are not getting paid different rates, but whatever their, you know, whatever the INS says needs to be deducted based on their visas and blah 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 whatever is also being, you know, deducted in addition to paying American taxes. So once again, you know, the the immigrants are getting exploited and screwed over. That's the American way. Did you hear the uh, well-timed story this week about how Cattell Marte uh, – because these guys are paid so little they have to live in like hosting families' houses. And Cattell Marte showed up at his hosting family's house, didn't speak enough English when the family wasn't there, and almost got arrested his first day in the States. Yep, that's that's those are two different. I'm gonna get to that housing situation. Okay, and you're, gonna, of, you're gonna get to that later. Okay, fine. Yeah, but that is something that happens, and it just goes to show like how not mistreated because that wasn't necessarily a situation of him being mistreated by anybody, but how just if teams did a little bit more, you know, things like that could be avoided. Yep. So you got players in the full season leagues are making roughly $5,500. Plays in the short season leagues are making, you know, about 3000 to 4000 or so. All the veterans that are able to negotiate contracts a little, make a little bit more, but, you know, majority of the players in, the, in minor league systems are guys at the bottom that are the most vulnerable and don't have any kind of leverage. So you have taxes being taken out of that very small sum. And then on top of that, they don't get paid extra for spring training. They don't get paid at all if they're assigned to extended spring training. They don't get paid if they're playing extra innings. They get small token amounts if they sign up to do things like meet and greet events or autograph signings or whatever else. But, you know, that's usually a small menial amount, you know, $50, $100, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Certainly not enough to make any kind of real dent in how much they're getting paid. You said – well, how much did you say per month? Roughly 1100 per month? Mm Mm-hmm. For, and that's only during the season. And like, let's say, let's say like a, a, let's be generous towards the teams here and say that your average day of work playing baseball is nine hours. You get to the park early, you work out, and then you have to play a four hour game, whatever. You yeah, do that six times right. a week, mm-hmm. four weeks in a month. That's 216 hours a month. You're making 
less than five dollars per hour. Yeah. Thanks to the good old antitrust. Uh... <laughs> Before taxes, you're making less than five dollars an hour. Right. Good old antitrust exemption. Ugh. Now you take that very small amount of money that they're being paid, and you have to use that money for housing. You know, some teams will subsidize hotel rooms where players pay like a kind of small rent, but it's not like these hotels are. You know, it's not like this thing, the Ritz Carlton and the Plaza or nothing like that. You know, no. these are. Kind of not maybe not roach motels, but a step above them, and then they usually share rooms with other guys, so it's not exactly optimal uh, life conditions. Sometimes they will have like host family programs, like we were saying with Cattell Marte, where a volunteer family will host a player in their home for the season for however long. But that's kind of Fairly or unfairly, because the family is volunteering. But that's kind of shifting the burden of, you know, housing these guys on just random bystanders. You know, the team is still getting around having to pay their players fair wages. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, guys will kind of find their own housing. It's usually the easiest thing to do. And they'll get apartments and they'll split it among, like, three, four, maybe even five guys to kind of keep costs down. But it's still not an optimal living situation. You know, do you want to really be living in a kind of one or two bedroom house with five other guys, five other athletes? You know, so they're big dudes, probably grouchy a lot of the time. Tempers can flare. You got guys sleeping on couches. You got guys sleeping on the floor in sleeping bags. In there's a literally job, no, there's no separation between your work and your home life. Either, which I mean, that's just a, a social disaster waiting to happen. Right, and for a job, you know, it, it it is a job. For a job that is so physically oriented, you know, you kind of crappy sleeping conditions, mm-hmm. crappy living conditions. It's not going to help you then on the field. I mean, I think you can also argue that baseball is more a mental sport than any of the other major sports. Definitely. How are the how are these conditions going to wear on you? Over time, like you have no escape from from this daily grind, that that can't be conducive to to going into every at bat critically thinking about what's going to happen, or going into every thinking about what you want to do with every pitch, getting the most out of your practice. It, it's it's mind numbing. Yeah, no, it, it's it's not good. Another thing that's not good, generally speaking, is the nutrition that these guys have. In spring training, or if you're playing, like, at the complex, team will usually provide, like, breakfast and lunch. Mm. But um, and they'll also kind of they'll, – they'll have, you know, pregame spreads at the clubhouse before games, you know, the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, sometimes hot dogs, chips, popcorn, kind of general ballpark food. But if you don't get to that stuff and it's gone, or if you don't like it, or whatever the case, out of luck, and – when you're on your own, teams do provide some meal money. About $20 or so is the average. Maybe you're lucky and you're on a team that provides a little bit more. But $20 or so, give or take, is not really a lot to buy. You know, it's not a lot of money to buy multiple meals and buy multiple good ones. 
So you got players that'll skip breakfast, kind of skip lunch, fill up on the pregame spreads and try to save their money. It'll get guys that will skip meals to kind of spend all of that money on one meal. You'll find guys that'll get, you know, cheap fast food. You'll find guys that target cheap buffets. It just not, it's not a good thing, especially when it comes to, again, baseball is such a physical sport. You want to be eating good and staying in shape. And, I mean, you know, if, if you're, if you're having Big Macs every day, it's not a good, I mean, look at Dom Smith. I don't want to single him out, but we've heard plenty of stories about that where, yeah, you know, he, he's coming into, he, he would come into the season in much better shape. And then over the course of the year, he would progressively get worse and worse because, you know, he's he's eating poorly. And he's got bad genes, which, like, some people just have bad genes. Like, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, it, it's play every night and get, like, three milkshakes and a burger or something. It's like, man, we can't have our, our players eating that crappily. They got to perform. And then you realize that literally every minor leaguer is basically eating like that because they can't afford to eat anything else. I don't even think that the average minor leaguer could afford three shakes. Uh, and right, yeah, and yeah exactly, exactly, right. So, like these guys are filling up on what is um, what amounts to junk food while also trying to become top point oh oh one percent athletes. That a team has already invested millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars into. And like you can do, you can do some, like let's say it costs $50 a day to, to buy enough produce per player. And that's probably an overestimate. $50 a day times a 25 man roster is what? 750 bucks a day times 120 some odd games. You spend an extra 150 to $200,000 to adequately feed each affiliate. That's that's less than the league minimum. Mm-hmm. Are, are you kidding me that we can't get these guys some fruits and vegetables instead of hot dogs and chips before every game? A lot of players, I think the best strategy, and it's not, I don't think it's a racial thing or anything, but usually the best strategy are what most Spanish players do. And they kind of pull together. And they'll make, you know, big things, rice and beans, mm-hmm. other comfort foods. And just by virtue of, you know, the, the island, the Caribbean, usually being pretty poor, the kind of foods that they're used to, the kind of things that are comfort foods to them are also things that kind of can get stretched and go a long way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, when they do stuff like that, I can see from, I guess, a perspective of outsiders looking in. You know, guys are kind of becoming be, being clannish. You know, you hear a lot about that kind of in the in different clubhouses. You know, the white guys hanging out with white guys and the Spanish guys hanging out together, and not really too much fraternization between different ethnic groups like that. But in in certain cases, like eating, you know, if you went to another country, you were there for a prolonged period of time, you'd want kind of stuff that you're used to, mm-hmm. stuff that's comfort foods to you. And that does, you know, go a long way. And that is something that a lot of those players do do. I think that's a really good point, though, because think about, like, think about all the stresses we've already talked about. 
And, and just like for the common layman example, when you go to a restaurant with maybe some some servers that don't speak the best English, it, it's sometimes stressful, especially if you're not like the the most or they don't speak whatever language you're used to. Like that's a somewhat stressful interaction. Now you want people to play professional baseball while not getting paid or fed and then interact with a bunch of people that they've never had any sort of exposure to. Like some draftee from middle America has never seen a Hispanic player. A Hispanic player from the Dominican has never seen a white player. And you expect them to, to mingle amongst all the other nonsense you're shoving on them? Mm-hmm. I don't remember who it was. I don't even remember exactly when it was. But I remember reading a story about – and it, it it like made me feel so bad for this guy. He was a minor leaguer. I don't remember if he was in the Mets system or if he was just in, just a, in some other system. But he didn't really speak English very well. The team and or, you know, his teammates didn't really either know about this problem or didn't really support him or whatever. But, like, the only thing that he really knew how to say was, like, fried chicken or french fries or whatever. And that's really the only thing that he ever ate. Because when he went out, that was really one of the only things that he could order. order. Yeah. And, uh, And imagine being, you know... Uh, an 18, 19 year old kid, you know, you're mature, but you're still maybe not worldly, you know, you have no, yeah, like having to deal with that kind of stuff. Language barriers are real. Like it's challenging. Mm -hmm. And, And that's something else these teams could pay for. And I might be off on this, but I believe the Mets do an oddly okay job of teaching their international signings English. Better yep, than some is, teams? It is one of the things that the Mets do, I think, do well, and they're on the forefront of. That was something I was going to talk about later is kind of – I guess we could I'll, – I'll transition to like that. Mm-hmm. Like foreign outreach, I guess, the best way to put it. Just, you know, having classes that will teach English. Um, you know, just having classes that will teach things that we take for granted – Mm-hmm. But might be really new for like young Dominicans or Venezuelans or or whatever else, you know. They're they're boys that just kind of came into money that they've mm-hmm. ne- more money they've ever had before. They don't really, you know. You 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 throw even fifty thousand dollars, which is a very big sum to me, mm-hmm. but even more so to these kids that have nothing that have grown up and have had nothing, and then you expect them to just kind of automatically know how to budget how to pay their bills on time, you know, things like that. Life skills is is something that that teams need to, I think, invest more in teaching their younger players from foreign countries. And, you know, and even things like, um, you know, a GED equivalent, whatever, because, you know, these 15, 16-year-old, 17-year-old kids are not always focusing the most on you know schooling in those countries it's really I mean, they go into the academies at 12 these days or 10 yeah an actual education is not the primary motivate primary motivator there and yet it's, it's great if they can get signed and they make some money and are able to you know join an or join a major league baseball minor league baseball club and come up the, the ladder and everything but Majority of these guys are flaming out, mm-hmm. and you know, at, you at least want to give these guys, you know, some kind of life skills 
Absolutely. Outside of baseball. When you're they're, basically they're, claiming their entire young lives. Two, two quick things I want to rotate back to. Just like on the English-Spanish thing, uh, I'm not saying that white players should not learn Spanish. They absolutely should. I'm saying that you should help the – because you can't expect everyone who's not on the team to learn Spanish, right? The community is not – everyone's going to know Spanish. So teaching teaching your Hispanic players English is just – it's so it's such a simple thing to – it's such a simple idea, and yet no one does it well. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm not I'm not going full Mike Piazza here or whoever and saying you learn English it's America no it's just it's just <laughs> functionally it's useful. The other thing is I feel like a lot of the counter arguments that that teams or whoever comes up with this is well it's on the player it's their responsibility. And not only do is that a terrible argument, but they're not getting paid. What time or resources do they have on their own to devote to these tasks? Right. You could at least say, all right, it is plausible for them to do this if they're getting paid. I don't think they should be have to, but I get what you're saying. You want them to do it themselves. You're not giving them the tools to do it themselves. Exactly. You're, they're barely being paid, we've established. They're spending the majority of their waking time at the ballpark. And when they're going back home, whatever their home may be, it's probably not you know, the, the nicest place. No. Not a conducive not conducive at all to to learning. And again, a language tutor for each. You can get a financial planner and a language tutor for for every organization and pay them. Let's again. I'm trying to be like as generous with these estimates as possible. Let's say you pay each of those people five hundred thousand dollars a year per per team, which is ludicrous a ludicrous amount already. It's a million bucks. That's not. It's nothing. It's nothing. Nope. Another good uh, an, another thing that these kinds of conditions are not conducive to are health. And mm-hmm. again, like we saw with Dom Smith over the over the off season about how he how he got like a either a new or a better uh, sleep apnea diagnosis and then got either a new or better machine and that's helped him immensely. Mm-hmm. You know, this is also a guy that. Was your first round draft pick, was a kind of heralded player, and that's the kind of situation he finds himself in. Now imagine being that nobody kid that got not much money from the Dominican, who's at the all the way at the bottom that nobody even knows about or you know cares much about, and you know this kid being in the same exact situation. Like it just, yeah. if it could happen to Smith, you know it could it very easily can and is happening to much less heralded guys. What was Dom Smith's draft bonus? Let's see. 2.6 million. So Dom started off 2.6 million ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And again, not bashing Dom, um, to be clear. but Right, it's just a very useful example. He he has this extra head start, and he still can't do it. Mm-hmm. Because cause they're just set up to fail. Yep. Players, they automatically get health insurance during the season, life insurance during, you know, during the season. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty comprehensive, but like, like being paid once the season is over, you know, you're paying most of it out of your pocket. So, you know, guys are doing rehab for surgeries, whatever. That's, you know, teams don't always cover the full cost of that stuff. And that's kind of stuff that if you want to get back into baseball shape, you have to do. 
it's not like, you know, uh, last year I had shoulder bursitis. Mm-hmm. The doctor, you know, I got, I went to the, do- to the, to the doctor. I got a prescription and he recommended I go for physical therapy. I took the medicine. I did not go to physical therapy because, okay, I don't <laughs> want to pay that money. <laughs> it was, it's a kind of minor thing and it went away, no problem. But now say I am a high level, you know, pitcher where I need everything in my shoulder to be just right in order to do my job. I have to go to that physical therapy. However much it costs, that's, that's much, that's, you know, less in my pocket and I'm not getting paid very well. Again, everything's going back to that not being paid well. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I have a frame of reference here as, as a PhD student. I think like, we don't make world beater money. I get, $40,000 $40,000 a year, right? Like you could, that's not a lot, but it's, it's, it's a world of difference between a thousand dollars a month for four months and giving somebody enough money where they can, can live comfortably mm-hmm. and actually accomplish what they want. Additionally, paying a 25 man roster $40,000 a year is a million dollars. You have seven affiliates roughly right triple a double a advanced a a rookie rookie maybe another a low a and two rookies at seven seven million dollars it's again it's 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 such a drop in the bucket yep. for these teams if you wanted to do uh, uh were there any other issues we wanted to hit on here before i rattled off some numbers or oh one thing that's kind of sucky about the minor league life, I guess, is, is also travel. You know, you yeah. kind of have your long bus rides, but really, that's something that there really is no other alternative. Yeah. I mean, you know, minor league teams are not, they're not making enough money to charter planes to mm-hmm. turn, you know, maybe a four hour, five hour drive into a one hour flight. Yeah. But, I mean, fortunately, most teams are kind of clustered around the same areas. So travel's annoying, you know, but it's not like, Deadly. I guess the biggest, the two biggest gulfs I could think are in the South Atlantic League when you have Lakewood over here in Jersey and then everyone else is in the Carolinas. You know, it's a good 10, yeah. 12 hour drive. That's a trek. And then also the Portland Sea Dogs and, um, the Richmond Flying Squirrels in the Eastern League. You know, you go from, from Maine to Virginia. That's like another 10 hour drive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's not like the schedules are, you know, made so that those two teams, you know, that the teams, that are furthest apart from each other are playing like back to back series constantly. So I mean just that it's that's one of those aspects of minor league life that's annoying, but you really can't do anything about it. Yeah, I don't have a good solution to that. Like they're really you know just, yeah. download Netflix on your phone. That's yeah. really that's I mean really they it. get like coach buses, right? It's not like they're driving around in yeah, no, the old have, yellow school bus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have chartered buses that have, you know, the bathrooms and mm-hmm. air conditioning and are usually semi comfortable. Right. But uh, yeah, there's no solution to sucky travel. And like planes planes do actually get into the realm of okay, this is a significant amount of money, so we, if, if anything, they should tackle all the other issues that are cheap before they start worrying about. Yeah, let's let's charter a bunch of planes to fly a half hour instead of driving for three. Yeah, unnecessary. Um. So just just 
I did, I jotted down some quick numbers here to, to do the rough math. Um, so I'm assuming seven, seven affiliates. Um, oh, nice play by Franco there. We already, I already said, so if you pay every minor leaguer 40 million, 40,000, 40 million, Jesus Christ, $40,000, uh, you have 25 man rosters across seven affiliates. That's $7 million in payroll. If you're saying that you spend $100,000 on some sort of financial education or guidance, $100,000 on some sort of language education or guidance, $400,000 on food and nutrition for these players, so that's 600k per affiliate times seven, that's another $4.2 million. We've arrived at $11.2 million or slightly more with the Met, uh, slightly more than what the Mets are playing Euros Familia this year. <laughs> Now, how would you like to invest that $11 million into your familia or giving the minor leaguers that you're constantly hyping up as the next big thing that you, that fans are now paying attention to more than ever before, giving them the best environment to succeed in? It's, it, it, there's no math here. $11 million is roughly the value of one war, maybe one and a half war. The second you produce like, Who's a good one more example here? Uh, let me go to the 2018 Mets and find a one more player. Oh, I can't even think of a single player on the team. Yeah, it's a... Uh, a single marginal player, I should say. Yeah, yeah. God, no one hit the at-batman on him. This is rough. Uh, let me lower it down to 400. Yeah, Ruben Tejada, was he roughly a 0-1 to more player back in his day? Yeah, he had one season of three. Wilmer Flores would, was less than a one-war player, right? But, but that's because his defense was always really bad. Um, uh, Ahmed Rosario was one and a half wins last year, and we were generally very disappointed in that season. But this is the, this is the type of player I'm talking about. That you need to produce one extra war out of your farm system per year to justify these expenses. And a case like Dom is already like a perfect example of this giving you extra value. If Dom had the nutrition and education and access he has now in the majors in the minors, I'm willing to bet he would have developed faster because he would have been in better shape, would have come up to the majors and performed better initially because he mm -hmm. would have been in better shape. Well, that's why making it to the majors is such a big deal because aside for just you know, exactly. having finally having finally made your dream come true and all that kind of stuff. There's also a bunch of huge financial ramifications for being on the major league roster. Even just you know, if, if if you're on the team for a single day, you get a prorated portion of the major league minimum, which is five hundred fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. You now get a cut of the MLB Players Union licensed stuff. You know, video games, cards, mm -hmm. apparel, whatever. You get to be part of the MLB healthcare program. For life, and then, right? And then after um, 41 days, you are you are qualified for MLB pension. You know, so all that kind of stuff is really important when it comes to, you know, just aside from just making the dream come true. Right. That's very tangible things. And th this is like, I mean, I think that really contextualized what we're asking for. Like it's not like we're, we're we're ranting about minor league players not having a pension, not having comprehensive health care, not having X, Y, and Z, which might actually be expensive. And
and I might even be simp- I might even understand teams arguing that that's too much. We're arguing for like basic living wage and mm-hmm. the extra resources that are directly related to development right. that teams just do not allocate right now. And probably will either never or it's going to take a lot of litigation to actually finally, you know, happen mm-hmm. because minor leaguers don't have anyone going to bat for them. Uh, the you players know? union sure as hell isn't. The players union isn't. The teams, even though, as we've been discussing, it kind of is more cost effective, cost effective to do these kinds of things. They don't have, you know, if they don't have to pay an extra couple million dollars, they're not going to. I think, like, I'm sure that some, I'm actually not sure. My theory is that there, there are plenty of smart teams at this point, right? Like, the Dodgers are objectively smart, aside from the crimes.xls spreadsheet. Right. Um, <laughs> Google Doc, whatever. Uh, the Rays are smart. These teams, I'm sure, could do the same math I did here and say, huh, this this makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And why – the only explanation I can come up for as to why some team hasn't said, you know, let's be the first to do this because this gives us a marginal advantage is that they all talk about this every year and say, yeah, no one's doing this, right? Right? We're all good? No one's, no one's going to start doing this? Okay, no one's going to do this. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, everything, it seems, always comes down to collusion in probably all organized sports. But, Mm -hmm. you know, since this is baseball, you know, baseball. And and please, if someone has a better explanation, I'd love to hear it because there's no way the teams can't afford it. There's no way that some exec hasn't figured out. These execs squeeze the last drop of value out of every aspect of baseball at this point. There's no way they haven't figured this out already. So. And unfortunately, it's the kind of mentality, like we met, we, we mentioned at a meeting, it's kind of ingrained in players. Like you kind of have to live through the struggle to finally make it. And then once you make it, great, you're set. But, okay. you know, that kind of struggle is important and character building and whatever the hell else. You've got to struggle. You've got to suffer because I suffered. Right. I mean, it's like, just. Buddy, that's not the point of you suffering. That's not, the, society is supposed to improve over time because of previous people's sufferings. But also, it's Adam Eaton, so you know it doesn't exactly surprise me. Right. I mean, I don't these, like Adam Eaton. A lot of these players, unfortunately, are from places where they kind of have that prevailing mentality uh, culturally. A Protestant ethic. Mm-hmm. Weber would be proud. Also, there is a kind of though. There is, I guess, if a team were to say to them internally, "This is something that we're going to do," there is kind of some gray area i guess when it comes to actually implementing all this stuff because a lot of major league baseball teams don't actually own their minor league clubs mm-hmm. and a lot of them are kind of independently owned so you start to get it starts to bring the question who's going to pay for what but even if a, even if a major league baseball team said, okay, we're going to enter into agreement with this group, you need to provide players with, you know, mm-hmm. adequate nutrition, healthcare, and whatever. Majority of the of of the minor league ball clubs that are owned by like groups, they're you, you don't own a, a minor league ball club if you don't have the money to do so. Right. I was doing a little research into it, and about 
25% of the 160 affiliated minor league ball clubs are owned by executive groups that own three or more teams. It could be baseball, it could be in other sports. Mm-hmm. And then that percentage goes up to 38% if you look at groups that just own two, at least two teams. So, you know, you, if you're not, you're not claiming poverty if you own, you know, three Several or more professional, yeah. It's hard to track down the exact numbers because mm-hmm. there's a lot of shadiness when it comes to all this stuff. But um, most minor league ball clubs are not, you know, cash insolvent. Um, from where I could find, for just AAA, the top nine teams average gross revenues of $5.5 million, And then the bottom ones uh, average $1.7. So, I mean, depending on where you are geographically, what level of the team, you know, all that other kind of stuff revenue and profits are going to fluctuate but suffice to say owners ownership groups they're not poor so and also they don't actually pay the players and the coaches and all that other stuff all the minor league owners need to do is basically provide the stadium staff the stadium which aren't even always owned by them or operated you know a lot of them are city shared (laughs) operations so all they really have to do is provide you know a place for the for the teams to play and not even have to pay all these guys. Is there any, I don't know this. I'm not an expert on the CBA, but is there anything in the CBA stipulating you can only have this many coaches because you could just add the, the nutritionist and whatever else to your coaching staff and pay them directly. That I don't think that anything specifically defines Mm -hmm. like who is allowed to be, you know, what kind of coaches are allowed to be. And I think that that is something that is, Slowly, I, I think getting more steam across the board because you see guys like, um, what's the word? Like physical therapists that are now technically coaches on the teams. And they have like you know, the high coach of high performance, whatever the hell that means on right, some things, of these organizations. Things of that nature, yeah. Guys that are are in charge, I guess, of you know maybe trainers on steroids, you know mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of job. And you're seeing more and more teams having and appointing like official people like that. Right. So that's a good thing. I mean, it's absolutely po- the point is that it's absolutely possible for like even if these teams aren't owned for for the major league organization to hire someone and install them in the clubhouse with with no no problem. Mm-hmm. They could shoulder that financial burden. So, aside for like better pay, do you have any like solutions to all this? Because, I mean, it's not like it's an obvious thing. I I mean, I think we've outlined – what what do we mean by solution, right? I think we outlined what major league teams should do. Right. How to get them to do that, I have right, right, right. <laughs> no idea, honestly. It's not as if – I mean, I don't know actually how minor league teams make their money these days because major league teams have uh, – like their revenue is decoupled from attendance at this point, basically. I don't know. In the know minors, that... most of it does come from ticket sales and mm-hmm. sponsorship, you know, like like ads, things like that. But you're not going to get a local community to. I feel I feel like minor league baseball is a lot more about like the town, that same town, or little little Susie and Timmy are four years old and want to go see their first baseball game or whatever. Like you're not going to get those people to care about large scale labor issues. No. <laughs> um, and if that's 
I mean, my, maybe the minor league players need to unionize, but that's a whole nother thing because then you're going to get, you might, you risk getting blackballed and having your chance, your opportunity mm-hmm. to reach the majors just totally destroyed. So I don't, I'm, I'm not a lawyer or a labor relations expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know the path to, to, to solving this issue. That's something I was thinking about is that there's a major league union, so why can't there be a minor league union? But mm-hmm. I think that, again, having no knowledge whatsoever about labor law, but that just seems like it's it's even more difficult to kind of mm-hmm. organize than, than a major league uh, union. Retaliation. Guys are, guys are constantly churning through the minor leagues. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, um, I can't think of the word. But, you know, guys are coming and going. Turnover. Turn. There you go. Thank you. Turnover. There's a lot of turnover. Guys, you know, are promoted to the majors. They might get set back down to the minors. Now what group are they a part of? Guys might, you know, are the guys that are in the DSL for a couple of months and then flame out, are they eligible? You know, uh, inter- you're, you're talking about different countries there at that point. Mm-hmm. A lot of A lot of sticky issues. I think – I had a thought and I've lost it. Oh, right, right. It's a lot easier to retaliate against. I mean, retaliation might be illegal, but they'll find a way and it's a lot easier to get away with it against minor leaguers as opposed to established mm-hmm. major leaguers. Right. Well, that's part of the reason why nothing has ever changed, changed is because yeah. guys just don't want to talk about it because it, it's already hard enough to get to the majors as it is. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have the system working against you. Not not to blame the victim or anything here, but I think the guys who make it to the major leagues have to shoulder some of the blame, right? They've got they went through the system. They now are in a position where they have some level of power compared to ownership, and they've shown little to no interest in in fixing fixing the system. Yep, so, it's unfortunate. It's not there. It shouldn't be their responsibility, but they have a chance to and. They they've let it lie. Right. If anybody's going to change anything, it's going to be those major league players because mm-hmm. owners no interest. That's just spending more money. The minor league owners same thing. That's more money they're going to have to take out of their gross, you know, their their, their profits. It's all on those players, and yeah. And through either a combination of we only care about our own issues or people thinking like Adam Eaton, it just hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, that I was looking at and I think would make a pretty major difference in a lot of the things that we've talked about and probably would not really cause that much money either for the major league teams or for the minor league uh, owners would be if that – and this is something I do in other places. If teams had like dorms – That's an idea. In Japan, players – the the players – they live in in dorms that are owned by the teams, yeah. and I think that if we did this in minor league baseball, uh, it, it would solve a lot of the problems that we've identified. Obviously, there are a lot more minor league teams in the U.S. than there are in major league mm-hmm. teams in Japan, but players would have places to live and they wouldn't have to spend as much in rent. You know, yeah. maybe they pay for like maintenance fees, you know, whatever like college kids do in their dorms. But I yeah, think that's absolutely. fair. In a dorm, teams would be able to provide food, monitor food and nutrition. That's another you know. really good point. Yeah. Um, 
teams could even partner with like local businesses or schools, whatever, to provide culinary jobs, services, blah, blah, blah. And then they're helping the community in mm-hmm. addition to the helping the player. In dorms, they'd be able to provide better health care. You know, there could be a, a nurse, the team doctor could have an office there, whatever. Mm-hmm. The team trainer could have an office there, whatever. And get your education services there as well. Exactly. In terms of language or financial and, literacy. Exactly. And they do, they, in, in the, you know, the DSL, they do have, you know, kind of a dorm system like this. And I think that it would work also if you brought it over into the United States and, yep. you know, had, had, I wonder if you'd run into some resistance at like the higher levels of the minors where guys are a little bit older, but at the lower levels, I think that's actually a good idea. I mean, maybe, maybe it would be an opt in thing. Yeah. And sure. at the, at the higher levels when, you know, a lot more guys are married, have families, mm-hmm. have homes of their own, you know, you don't necessarily need it. Right. But in the lower levels, it's definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like guys coming out of high school, that'd be a great transition mm-hmm. for them. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it's and it's better than, you know, like we, we kind of mentioned, a lot of teams do subsidize hotels. It's similar to something like that, but I feel like... Being in a dorm provided by the team is a much better environment for for the players than, you know, in a hotel that's subsidized by the team. You also have much more control over the environment, right? mm-hmm. like, which is huge. Yep. You don't want you guys doing any uh, funny business, then you, <laughs> you can yeah. uh, keep an eye on that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a reason most colleges offer dorms to – or almost all colleges offer dorms to kids coming out of high school. Like, it makes a lot of sense. So that would be a nice solution, but again, requires the team spending money, right? Exactly, and we know there's always going to be resistance about stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. Yep. All right, well, we will be back after this. Welcome back, everybody, and it's time for oh yeah, that guy. Will we take a look back and remember some Mets minor leaguers of the past that we probably have forgotten about? Did I keep my tabs open this week? I did. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> Who's your guy, Lucas? All right. So this week, my guy is Chris Schwinden, uh, a name I had forgotten. I actually thought I was looking I, – I had totally confused his story with Jeremy Hefner's at first before I went ran to his Wikipedia page. So it was really an, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> um so Chris Schwindel was drafted by the Tigers originally in 2004 in the 43rd round, said nah, went to community college for – or not community, uh, uh, state college for a couple of years, uh, and then was drafted in the 22nd round in 2008 by the Mets. 
Uh, performed reasonably well in the minors, really dominated that year he was drafted in uh, low A. I couldn't even tell you what the low A affiliate was in 2008. Jeez. Uh, I think anyway. it was still Savannah. Was it Savannah? Okay, that would I make sense. I believe that they, they, it was in Capital City, and I think that they moved from Capital City in like 2005 or 2006. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that it was, it was the Sandnets. Okay. Um, so yeah, dominated there initially, gradually worked his way up the minor league ladder. Uh, by 2011, he was in, uh, AAA, where he had a really nice season, uh, 3.95 ERA, 8.28 K9. Three walks per nine. That's over 26 starts. So looked like a serviceable fifth starter type. Um, and then fame, he got a little bit of major league time at the end of that year, uh, just four starts. Uh, and then famously in 2012, he wound up, uh, being inserted into the rotation in place of Mike Pelfrey. Uh, so he was one of the many starters that the Mets cycled through, um, uh, during those rough years between 2009 and 2014. Shortly thereafter, the Mets placed him on waivers. He wound up with the Yankees, and then the Blue Jays, and then the Indians. Eventually, with the Rangers, and then out of professional baseball by 2012. By the end of uh, 2012, um, made it back to the Mets, but never played. Uh, and then actually went to the Independent League uh, for the Lancaster Barnstormers, that's in the Atlantic League. Uh, he was the Atlantic League Pitcher of the Year, threw 16 quality starts, uh, won nine of his first 12 starts en route to the actually winning the championship that year, uh, and then he left baseball on that note, uh, retiring after that season. So something of a high note for him. Made yeah. the majors, made some starts, uh, dominated in the independent leagues, and then uh, decided to hang it up. Was Schwinden the one that was on, like, four different professional ball clubs in the span of, like, two weeks? Yeah, so he went... Yeah. He went Mets, Yankees, Blue Jays, Indians, Mets. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the Mets let him go. And then a lot worse, possibly hurt. And then the Rangers in 2014 for three starts before they let him go, too. And then he made his way to the Atlantic League. So, yeah, those, those were some um, lean years there. Yeah. And then tying this back to our conversation before about the life of the minor leagues. Now imagine if you are assigned, you know, to I, I'm a, Las Vegas was the AAA affiliate at the time. You pay your rent. Two weeks later, you're sent somewhere else. You pay your rent there. Two weeks oh, later, man. your living situation, you know, you're paying. You, you don't even know like what to do when you're in a situation like that. That's do you even want to take out a lease. You want to yeah. just live, you know, day by day in 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 a hotel. Like it's just. Not a not a good thing. Not a good That's situation a really to good be comment in. we didn't touch on at all is how how uh fluid these guys' lives are. So mm-hmm. everyone knows moving sucks. I don't think there's anyone who actually likes moving. You're uh, basically living out of a suitcase. And also imagine like if you if you're providing all these benefits to your minor leaguers, you're probably gonna be a preferred destination for minor league free agents, right? That's another comparative advantage we totally didn't touch on mm-hmm, so true. maybe Schwinden is a guy that you're like hey he's a good seventh eighth starter we want him back why should he choose your organization as opposed to someone else who maybe has less pitching depth well we offer you all these benefits and higher pay and and, and nutrition and housing and blah 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 yeah i'm gonna come play for you guys instead yeah i mean that's the, that when you're when you're 
offering guys minor league contracts and you know they're they're not getting much obviously so you do need to kind of up the ante a little bit with things like that and that is something that could theoretically sway someone's opinion and you never know like you know a minor league guy Ari Dickey was signed as just a kind of minor league throwaway Mm -hmm. for depth and look at him you know not that that kind of stuff is common obviously but you never know when your next even slightly minor contributor is going to come from I think I think recent successful teams have demonstrated that this game is all about talent acquisition and any Mm -hmm. way you can acquire it is good and if you ha- can develop an advantage through a more robust minor league compensation system, there you go, more talent acquisition. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, my guy for this week is Gilbert Gomez. I had no idea who this was. Oh, okay. Uh, from Zero idea. Basically, for in this week, in 2004, he hit 304, 448, 609. With I two was doubles. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Two doubles, a triple, and a home run, and six walks, which is pretty good. Uh, well, basically, basically, Gomez was signed by the Mets at the Dominican Republic in 2008. He wasn't a big-time IFA because he signed kind of late, but really nobody in that class was. Uh, Adeline Rodriguez got the biggest signing bonus of that bunch, which was $600,000. Mm-hmm. It did produce a couple of major leaguers, though, Luis Sessa and Hansel Robles, but and a, and a bunch of those guys were kind of regulars in the system for a couple of years, like Gomez, but nobody was really considered like a big-time prospect or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he spent 2009 in the DSL, and then he made his stateside debut in 2010 as an 18-year-old in the GCL, and he didn't exactly impress there. And that basically sums up his basic that, that basically sums up his baseball career. He wasn't exactly impressive. He had he had hot streaks. Like like the one you know for a week in 2014 that um, I mentioned, and in 2011 uh, he spent 22 games at St. Lucie and he hit 307, 388, 547. But all in all, he wasn't really that good of a hitter. Um, over seven seasons, he has a, he had a cumulative 229, 336, 327 batting line, and he made it as high as Double um, A in 2015, and then he's granted his free agency. And nobody showed any interest, and he never played a professional uh, game again. But sometimes guys are more than just their batting line, and Gomez was definitely a guy like that. Uh, Paul DePodesta called him an unusually smart and mature person. And he came from a big baseball family. One of his older brothers was a, a journalist, a sports journalist in the Dominican. Another one of his brothers was a high-level executive for Los Leones. Los Leones de Escogido, which is a Dominican Winter League team. Mm-hmm. And his younger brother is currently in the Cardinal system. So he's a guy that, you know, he's always lived and breathed baseball. And when, you know, when teammates needed to pick his brain, he was there. And what was especially useful is that he was fully fluent in English. So when teammates needed help with stuff like that, you know, especially in the lower levels, he was always there for, he was always there for them. And that kind of stuff gets you noticed. You know, when you actually have the mind and the ability to help. And I said he didn't ever play another professional game, but he's not out of baseball because last season the Mets brought him into the fold as the hitting coach for one of the Dominican Summer League teams. That's exactly what I was about to ask. Mm -hmm. And then this year, Pedro Lopez, who coached Gomez in 2011 with St. Lucie, and then again in 2015 when he was with the Binghamton Mets, 
he brought him aboard as his bench coach for the Columbia Fireflies. Well, that's awesome. Yes, I mean, you know, there's a, there was a little tension between Lopez and the front office a couple of years ago when they removed him from the 51s, and he didn't really get much of an opportunity when the Mets were looking for managers. But Pedro Lopez is a is a good guy to have as your teacher. Mm-hmm. So if Gomez is going to continue, um, you know, pursuing coaching, being around Pedro Lopez is a great guy to be around. Yep, that's awesome. This reminds yep. me of uh, one of the. Uh... Oh, Christ, I don't remember. One of the pitchers, one of the senior signs the Mets drafted this year who was very into the analytics aspect, and we were talking uh, about how we're... Uh, Martinson, I believe. Martinson, I think. Matheson mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Yeah. We were yeah. talking about how it was like bringing these smart guys in is always... It's always good to see because they might wind up as coaches, and they, then they it's easier for them to cross that border between player and, and a, analyst, or in Gomez's case, uh, you can cross that language border, so... I'm always glad to to bring in smart guys. Yep, can't hurt. No, not at all. <laughs> like, uh, who's the guy in the Red Sox who does this now? Brian Bannister or something like that, right? Like, yep. The the I think players who can respect another player uh, makes communicating novel novel strats or novel ideas a lot easier. Well, that's why they always say that like Ted Williams was a terrible hitting coach, even just though he's one of the best. Yeah, even though he's one of the best hitters in history, because to him. It was just intuitive, and you know, it, he couldn't really understand the, the struggle. Mm-hmm. Whereas guys that you know aren't necessarily the best players, a lot of times they're good coaches because they've been through it. They understand what you need to do to, you know, to adjust to to whatever. So, I'm pretty sure Keith has told that story about Stan Musial a couple times during spring training. Once he's like stumbling over his words gets frustrated and just picks up a bat and hits like takes a batting practice pitch and hits a home run. Like, just do that. <laughs> like that's not helpful. <laughs> so Yeah. All right. Well if anyone has any questions, comments or whatever, send us an email. It is uh from complex to queens at gmail dot com. And you can follow us on Twitter and shoot questions at us there. I am at Steve Saipa and Lucas is at Lajos three four three. Um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts and rate and review and thank you for listening and we will be back next week to go over everything that happened in the Mets minor league system love the Mets love the Mets <laughs>